Hey, it's Jordan. We'll fire up the Chill Factory in about 20 seconds. I just launched the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn. Each issue is inspired by conversations I've had here on the Chill Factory podcast and includes extras to help you, your clients, students, and anyone else you support. You can also comment and connect with others around newsletter topics. So subscribe to the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn and see you there. Instead of asking yes, no questions like, would you rather this or that? It's okay to discuss your sexual preferences and learn to make requests because guess what? Nobody can read your mind. Welcome and welcome back to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful with expert interviews, rapid relaxers, and excellent resources. I'm Jordan Friedman. I love these Best of the Chill Factory episodes because they highlight especially informative and helpful parts of longer conversations that I've had with guests here on the show. I also love them because even though I've been a part of these conversations and I've listened to every episode at least a few times, I always have aha moments because I hear things that guests say in a completely different way after listening to them again. For this best of volume, we'll spotlight reducing turbulence, fear, and anxiety, the airplane kind, the mood-lifting and stress-reducing benefits of anticipating things, how to talk about sex to make it more enjoyable and therefore a better stress reducer, the importance of sticking with a plan even though it may feel like a complete waste of time to do so, and this first crowd-pleaser, happiness. When I invited sociologist and happiness expert Tracy Brower to the Chill Factory, I wanted to do a reality check about what happiness really means. It's been sort of a quest of mine after years ago hearing a definition of happiness that, well, made me happier. Here's a clip from episode 42, Are You Happy Enough? And one of the things I think is important is that we realize that happiness isn't all bonbons and butterflies all the time. Like happiness ebbs and flows. We experience happiness at work, usually in terms of a sense of immersion and dedication. It's kind of that energy that you get from work and that energy that you want to give to work. And often we experience happiness as well through a sense of mattering. Like we just feel like there's meaning in our work and we feel like we are valuable in a bigger picture process. So usually happiness has to do with those kinds of experiences. I love what you said at the beginning of your answer about the ebbs and flows of happiness because it reminded me of a definition of happiness that I saw many years ago. It said, happiness is general contentedness with occasional joy. And I thought, wow, yeah, it doesn't have to be smiling all the time and always in a good mood and skipping down the lane. Yeah, I'm happy and this is real happiness. But then along comes social media and influencers and celebrities constantly telling us how to be happier and showing endless photos of friends with their arms around each other, smiling, laughing in beautiful places. And it's pretty easy to 
think, well, wait a second, maybe I'm not so happy as I thought I was. Maybe I need to try to do something to make myself happier. It's a lot of pressure. So I'm really happy to have you, someone who has studied happiness for a long time, to talk with and to give us a reality check on happiness. What do you think of all that? Yeah, you are making such an important point. And it's so true that happiness ebbs and flows. I think that one of the things we can do is kind of take the pressure off of ourselves. Like we don't have to be, you know, like you said, skipping down the road in a, in a state of euphoria constantly in order to count ourselves as happy. We might have up days and down days, but we can still have an overall sense of joy and contentment. And so that's important to realize. And I think the other thing that has happened in our Western culture, in our, um, in our North American culture, if you will, is a sense of happiness inflation. We can think about this as hedonistic adaptation in the scientific sense of the word, where we feel like we reach a level of happiness and then we have to get more and more and more and more happy. I think it's also really interesting the point you make about comparison. There's that beautiful quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And we have to remind ourselves that what energizes us, what makes each of us happy might be different than others. And the less we compare, the less we marinate in social media, the less we marinate in um, some of the popular press, actually the more likely we are to be happy. This next clip from episode 38, Prepare for Takeoff, is particularly pertinent right now because there have been a lot of stories lately about really bumpy flights and a prediction that turbulence is going to increase as time goes on thanks to climate change. I spoke with cool, calm, and collected commercial pilot Dave Arazzo about a lot of things that go on up there to diffuse the very common fear of flying, including the number one concern, turbulence. First off, uh, pilots, flight attendants, anybody on the flight crew, we don't like turbulence any more than you do. We use all our available tools to avoid turbulence whenever possible. So similar to bad weather, turbulence can be forecasted by, by weather forecasters. So we have charts, we use the air traffic controllers, we use other pilots and other airplanes, and we even have an app for turbulence that just came out recently, kind of like a ways in the sky, that shows me up ahead of me and on my route what the ride is like at my particular altitude and even above and below my altitude. If an aircraft has flown through there recently at that altitude, I can see what the projected uh, turbulence situation is like. Um, there's several types of turbulence. Um, the most common you encounter in the aircraft is from shifting winds. We call that wind shear. So when the wind changes direction or speed in any way, that can cause a little bit of turbulence. Some other types we encounter are due to weather phenomena such as uh, thunderstorms. Um, there's even a, a turbulence called mountain wave turbulence that is a result of the air flowing over mountain ranges and it comes off the backside of the mountains. It can be a little turbulent because it starts to spin around or create what we call vortices. And then the last one that we see a lot is thermal turbulence and that's just caused between hot and cold air masses that when they hit each other they tend to create a little area in between them that is turbulent. And even though it doesn't feel good, and I'm glad to hear that the flight crew 
doesn't particularly uh, like turbulence either. Why, as stressed passengers, should we not worry so much or worry at all about turbulence? Yes, the aircraft is designed to handle turbulence. Um, obviously, we want to avoid it whenever possible. Um, as far as turbulence goes, it usually doesn't last very long. It's usually short-lived, and if it is, if it does get really bad, your crew will try to climb or descend or change their route to get out of the turbulence as soon as possible. So hopefully any turbulence you encounter doesn't last that long, and, and if it does, they've, they've warned you a little bit about it and said, hey, we have some turbulence coming up. We're putting the seatbelt sign on. Please be seated. But as far as that, it's, it's just like weather. Sometimes we have what we call clear air turbulence. We're flying along, and we just hit bumps, and they were unpredicted. We don't know where they came from, and it's difficult for us to know how long it's going to last. So unfortunately, I can't take away all the turbulence during the flight, but I, I would certainly do my best to give you as smooth as a ride as possible because that's, that's my main goal, to get you there comfortably. Anticipate is the title of episode 36, and it's about the value of looking forward to things to lift your mood and reduce your stress. I spoke with psychology professor Christian Waugh about how he uses anticipation in his own life, and I think his response is so insightful and important. It's interesting, actually. I think most of us are actually fairly good at planning things in the future that maybe we could look forward to. But what I what I take, you know, time in doing is allowing myself to reflect on those things um, and not thinking that that's a waste of time, if that makes sense. And one of the particular strategies I use, um, and, I, and I actually have to use this with my wife a lot, I'm, teach, I'm teaching her as well, you know, I'm sure she'd appreciate hearing that, um, is when we're thinking about something that we're looking forward to, it's easy to come up with all the things that we're worried about. Uh, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And those things are actually important, right? Because those are the those those worries are the things that help us plan better and make sure we avoid certain issues that come up. But what I'll practice with her uh, and, and myself is allowing ourselves time to just think about the positive aspect of it. You know, the the, the things that we're excited about. Yeah, yeah, we have to worry about getting train tickets. But can you imagine sitting in that? Budapest bath. This is something we just did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Budapest bath, you know, with the sun shining down on us and all the different people and all the different baths. I mean, just think about that. That's going to be so awesome just by itself. Just is that, I mean, it's going to take a lot to get there. Yeah. But let's just allow ourselves to bask in the, the positivity of it because then it motivates the, uh, the, the willingness to want to work for it and to keep, again, those worries kind of pinned up and bounded. Um, so that's one one kind of strategy that I use is it's not so much doing all this extra planning of positive things necessarily, which you know I do that as well. But really, I think the unique thing is allowing yourself time to just think about it in a positive way without worrying about it and putting off worrying for a little bit, knowing that it's going to be there when it needs to be. Leanne Hamilton has been talking about sex for decades in her role as a sexual health educator at the University of Arizona. Sex can be one of life's great pleasures, and it can also be one of life's great stressors, which is exactly why we did episodes 40 and 41, Good Sex Reduces Stress. And this clip from part one 
gives great guidance for making that title a reality. So one of the reasons that we're doing this episode is because merely talking about sex is so difficult, so uncomfortable for so many people. Any overarching strategies from your experience for making talking about sex less challenging? That's a complicated and great question. And some of it has to do with the histories and experiences we bring into it. But we're humans and we can change and we can do things differently. So the good news is you can initiate a conversation about sex, even if it kind of makes you stressed out or nervous or uncomfortable. So in general, with all communication, whether it's about sex or it's about anything, it's always good to have a comfortable time and place and have a conversation, not when you're frustrated or angry or pressed for time. I think it's always a good idea to use I statements. For example, I like it when you blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying things like, you always do this or you never do that. Always start with your feelings because they're valid. So it could be, hey, I'd really like to talk about some things. Or it could be giving some praise. You know, I really like it when you initiate and I'm not expecting it or something like that. It's always a good idea to try and maintain positive regard for your partner. Some days that's easier than others. (laughs) But you're going to get further in a conversation if you really do keep that person in a positive light. Think about them in, in the best of times, the best of circumstances. All communication, and particularly about sex, it's a good idea to use open-ended questions. For example, what really turns you on? Or what's difficult for you to do? Instead of asking yes-no questions like, would you rather this or that? It's okay to discuss your sexual preferences and learn to make requests because guess what? Nobody can read your mind. So take responsibility for your own pleasure and requests and don't be vague about it. If you prefer your partner do something this way, let it be known, hey, I'd really like to try this or I'd prefer if we could uh, keep the lights on or keep the lights off, whatever it happens to be. Make it specific instead of generalities like, well, I wish it could be better. I wish you could do this all the time, you know, those kinds of things. It's also a good idea to temper any complaints with praise. Some people may be familiar with uh, having a conversation sort of like a sandwich. Try and start out with the first piece of bread is something positive. Then you've got the middle of it or the meat of the issue. And then the other piece of bread on the other side of the sandwich, leave with something positive too. And it could be something simple like, I really appreciate it when you blow in my ear or you take out the trash or whatever it is. And then, you know, whatever the complaint is, it's like, hey, I feel kind of pressured when you blah, 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 and then end with, I really want our relationship to continue getting better. So a sandwich, good stuff, hard stuff, good stuff. This final clip is about the importance of having a plan and sticking with it to realize your goals and dreams. It's part of episodes 31 and 32 called Play the Long Game, which is also the title of my guest Dory Clark's latest best-selling book. 
I started episode 31 by asking Dory to read the last paragraph of the book's introduction because it so nicely explains the why of playing the long game. Intellectually, we all know that lasting success takes persistence and effort. And yet, so much of our culture pushes us toward doing what's easy, what's guaranteed, and what looks glamorous in the moment. The long game is intended to be a clarion call on behalf of long-term thinking. It's a practical toolkit that shows you, in those darkest moments of doubt, how to keep prioritizing what matters most, doing small things over time to achieve your goals, and being willing to keep at them, even when they seem pointless, boring, or hard. Those are the choices that set you apart. It's blogging when no one reads your blog to test ideas and create an audience. It's taking the Toastmasters class when it seems like no one cares what you have to say to become a more effective presenter. It's going to networking events when you feel like the least accomplished person in the room to gain new insights and contacts. You can't perceive a difference after a week or a month or often even a year. Big goals may seem, and frankly are, impossible in the short term. But what few realize is that with small, methodical steps taken day after day, almost anything is attainable, and frequently sooner than you might imagine. So let's start playing the long game. Dory, you can and have talked about a lot of different topics. Why did you decide to talk about long-term planning through the long game? I was really inspired Jordan in a lot of ways because I a number of years ago started doing a lot of executive coaching you know working working one-on-one with professionals and so often in the course of our meetings I actually felt like it was kind of my job in some ways which was demoralizing to be the bad guy because people would come in you know every two weeks or however often we were meeting and they'd give me the, the sort of recitation of what they'd been working on. And then they'd say, so what now? What next? And <laughs> they wanted me to tell them, oh, well, now you do Instagram. That's the thing. Or, oh, now you need to start a podcast. And they really kind of wanted to hear some new instruction because I, I think there's something comforting about that. Like, oh, okay, we've got these steps and we're going to do these steps and this is the new thing that's going to that's going to be great this is going to blow everything open but so often instead what i told them what i had to tell them was um you know you just keep doing the thing we talked about we made a plan right so you need to keep going at the plan and i felt a little bit like a broken record but it was true because i didn't want to waste people's time and i didn't want them to be diverting their energy, which is exactly what would happen if you, you know, kept doing a new thing every month. And I realized that one of the more important messages that I thought I needed to get out there and to kind of be an advocate and an ambassador for was just the fact that so often, even though it is annoying AF, and I am well aware of that, we just have to be incredibly persistent at doing the strategic goals that we've set out. And it's only by doing that that we're actually able to obtain the the goals that we want. Thanks to all of our great guests here in the Chill Factory. And as always, you can learn more about them in the show notes of their episodes. It's quitting time for this episode of the Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow the Chill Factory wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are available. And there's always more. 
at thechillfactory.net. And as William Shakespeare said, listen to many, speak to a few.